0: And I'm, I am i don't know about you, but I'm honored to serve here. My name's Andrew, if I've never met you before. I'm one of the servant leaders here, and I've been serving at Creative for a while. And maybe you've been here a little while. Maybe you're really new and you're in for the ride of your life. But um, if you've been here for a while, I think, you, I think we can all say that God has been shifting some things lately in our church and in our church culture. Just around just getting back to the basics of prayer. And setting that as our foundation, just spending time with God. And it's, it's really cool to see what God is doing. And I was just talking to some young leaders this week, and I was like, this is actually not new stuff. It's a new season, but it's not new things. It's actually old things, it's foundational things. It's things that we do know, we, if we read the Bible, it tells us, it's already laid out for us, just putting priority where priority is due with, with God. And when God, God's been doing that and changing, and I am so thankful. I've been learning and growing in this season. I'm so thankful for a pastor that is sensitive and spending time in prayer. You can tell the difference when a preacher is praying and when they're not. And um, I'm so thankful for a pastor that prays. And like, seeks the Holy Spirit, and whatever He says, even if it inconveniences us, even if it changes the calendar, even if it changes service times, whatever it takes, if the Holy Spirit's saying it, He's just gonna go with that and teaching us all to do the same, seeking God early in the morning and all of that. Are you guys thankful for our pastors, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Joanne? Come on, let's show them love. We're so, I'm so grateful, honored to serve with Him and, um, and they're in uh, D.C. this morning, um, the D.C. area, preaching at a church. And he asked me to come share a message with you guys today. So I just want to uh, turn to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm 27, verse 7. Just something God's been showing me and speaking to me about. I'm still learning and growing, and I'm, and I'm going to share uh, what that is. But Psalm 27, 7 says, hear my voice when I call. This is King David writing this in a moment of, like, honesty. Be merciful to me and answer me. That's a real honest prayer. That's just, it just starts out with, like, sometimes, Lord, I pray, and I don't even know if you hear me. Is that anyone? I don't know if you hear me. Please hear me. I'm, I'm here. Hear my voice, Lord. Hear my voice when I call to you. And then once you've heard my voice, the first thing I want to ask is just have mercy on me. Because when I compare who I am to your holiness and your perfection, I realize that I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Would you just wash me with mercy and forgiveness? That's Just have mercy on me. Have mercy on me and then answer me. Because even if I think you hear my voice, sometimes I don't see an answer. Is that anybody? Sometimes I don't, I, can, can you answer me, Lord? answer me. And then he, and then he positions himself from the innermost part of him. He says, my heart, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. I know, I know, God, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've done some things that probably upset you, disappointed you, but don't turn away from me. Because if I look back over my life, And I realize the storms I've been in, whether they were not my fault or whether they were my fault. You have been my helper. You've never left me or forsaken me. You won't let me go now. Don't turn away from me now. You've been my helper. Do not reject me. Do not forsake me. God, my Savior. Your face will I seek. This this posture of his heart, it's... um, it is preceded by another verse, a couple of verses earlier. That's my favorite verse in the Psalm. Psalm 27:4 says, "One thing I ask from the Lord: this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple." He looks over his life everything that was going on, and he realized, I don't want anything else. I have one goal. I don't know if a lot of us can answer if if you tell me your one main goal in life. We have a lot of goals. I want to reach this place in my career. I want to have this much money. I want to take care of my kids, make sure they have this. I I have this house. I want to achieve these things. But he's saying, I don't really need any of that. I don't even need any accomplishments, even any works for the Lord. I was talking to a pastor, a really good friend of mine that is a pastor of an amazing church um, and really great ministry. And he said, pray for me. I got this main goal. It is to win 10 million souls for Jesus before I die. And I was like, that's really cool. That's awesome. I'll stand in faith with you for that. But I don't know that that even is what David is talking about. An accomplishment. That's great. But David is saying, I just want you. I just want, I just want you. I just want to be in your presence. I don't need to achieve. I, because David here, you know, he's not talking about, he says, you know, seek you in your temple all the days of my life, be in your house, dwelling. He's not talking about moving out of his house, setting up a tent and a sleeping bag in the middle of the sanctuary and staying there. So don't do that. Don't let me come in here tomorrow morning, turn on the lights, and there's like a few of you guys that have just stayed up in here and moved in. That's not what he's talking about because he was a busy man. He had a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things. He was the king. He was a political leader, and he was a military leader, and they were in war. So he had a lot of things going on. He had tasted respect, authority, power, anything he wanted. He had had tasted all of that. He was, he, he was a man that they wrote songs about him and sang it. And he was a man of war and of art. He himself was a songwriter and a poet and a musician. And he would sing to God. He would have this communion with God. He would just do this. And, and he would have all these things. And he's experienced all of that and seen all of that and, and had many victories in life and he, all of those things. And. In in fact, Psalm 27, most scholars believe it was a moment in his life when he wrote this, that a huge army had just encamped around him, ready to take him out. And he didn't pray, Lord, deliver me from them. He didn't pray, strike them with lightning. He didn't pray to hell with them. He didn't even focus on them. He wasn't afraid of them anymore. He said, I got one thing. One thing I'm after. He actually said, win or lose victory or defeat, come what may. I have one goal now, uninterrupted communion with the Lord. I was ministering with the teenagers on Wednesday night, which by the way, if you have teenagers, um, you really should bring them on Wednesdays as much as possible. God is just moving there. Wednesday at seven o'clock. And we had this great time with God. And actually all summer long, we went through this series on the book of Acts just studied the book of Acts and preached on it all summer. So we landed in the last couple chapters of Acts this week and we're learning about Paul. And Paul had a lot of things happen. He got called into ministry and then it got crazy. He's getting rebuked, he's getting ridiculed, he's getting mocked, he's getting beaten up, he's getting imprisoned and all because he wants to preach the gospel. And he's doing that around his, his region, the place where he knows people and grew up. And then God's sending him on a mission trip to go into a worse place, Rome. Rome at that time was everything anti God. And God was sending him to preach there too. But it wasn't a mission trip the way we do mission trip today. He didn't put a post out there raising money and collecting some uh, offerings and then pack up his bags, go to a nice restaurant, stay in a hotel. That's not the mission trip. In fact, the way he was gonna get to Rome is as a prisoner on a prisoner's ship with a bunch of soldiers who wanna kill him going to a judge who wants to sentence him. And that was his ticket to Rome. And then he knew that when God brought him there, he was gonna preach. So that's it. So then he's on this ship with over 200 other people, soldiers and prisoners. And they're they're on this ship from from the Middle East over to Italy through the Mediterranean. And this storm hits as if it couldn't get worse than that. This storm and it wasn't a storm that lasted overnight it was a storm that lasted 14 days straight 14 days and all soldiers and prisoners alike were helping each other out getting water out the boat trying to fix things trying to handle the they weren't sleeping they weren't eating 14 days straight they lost the lifeboat in the process all this stuff was happening they could they lost all of their uh direction they couldn't see where they were going they hadn't seen land for 14 days they don't know whether they're losing food all that kind of stuff and they, and they don't know what to do. And Paul pauses and stops them on the 14th day, not in a calm way, because the storm is still happening. So he's yelling on top of the storm, and he says, hey, guys, you haven't eaten anything in 14 days. You got to eat something. Don't worry. You've been freaking out. You've been at the edge of your life for 14 days. But don't worry. I got a word for you. You are going to survive. You're going to survive. And then he took some bread. He blessed it. He gave thanks. He broke it. He had some and he shared some. Sounds familiar. Paul, as a prisoner, was leading a communion service on this boat. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of being in prison, in the middle of likely going to a death sentence, he paused and said, I I don't, none of that matters. Come what may. Like David, I just want to have communion with God. And then the next morning, the next morning, they look land ahoy. They saw a beach. They're like, what? This is awesome. We had communion last night, and now here's land. We're saved. But that's not actually how the story ended. Right before they got to the shore, the whole thing fell apart. The entire ship broke apart. All the pieces fell apart. And it was, it was just wild. Some people who could swim started swimming. The other people like me was holding on to a plank. You ever prayed, sought God, and then things got worse? Nonetheless, God's word was true. Every one of them made it to the shore safely. Some swimming and some on pieces of the boat. So Paul wasn't doing this because he was like, if we do communion, God will bless us and we'll get there safe and everything will go okay." He didn't do that. Same thing with David. He's not doing this, having this moment where he seeks God, because if he does it, that's the key to all the good stuff. He did it because regardless of the good stuff or the bad stuff, come what may. I'm not doing it so you give me something because I'm no longer just seeking your hand where you give me things. I am now seeking your face where I just want to know you in the midst of everything. I just want to know who you are. I want to see you face to face, eye to eye. There's something that's bigger than my present circumstance. Something missing One thing, my only agenda now is to know what it's like to have uninterrupted communion, constant prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean like you're going down the road with your eyes closed, you know, I'm praying without ceasing 24 hours. It means when you get on the phone with God that morning, thank you God for this day, this is awesome, thank you. Instead of saying amen and hang up, it's amen and stay on the line. And I'm just here. And any given moment throughout the day, I can call on you because you're still online with me. And any given moment, you can call on me. Talk to that person. Go here. Speak here. Run around this turner. And you can can listen to him because you didn't hang up on him. You didn't disconnect prayer from the rest of your day. That's prayer without ceasing. It's this communion with God, this open line connection with him. And when you're on the phone with him, you're not going to go into certain places. You're not going to have certain conversations. You're not going to allow certain conversations around you. You're not going to watch certain when he's on the line. But when you've hung up, he doesn't know. Pray without ceasing, the apostle said. David is after this unshakable, uninterrupted. He's tired of dead ritual. He's seen all the lambs that have been sacrificed. And he said, hold on but what does that lamb symbolize? Who's the real lamb? He's seen fire burning on the altar, and he's like, I've seen that symbol, but what does it symbolize? What's the true fire that we're after? There's some of us who've seen church, and we've seen tradition, we've seen ritual, we've done communion, we've prayed, we had oil, but, what, but we're not after the, that symbol. That's a symbol of something bigger. What's the bigger? What's the greater thing? And then if this church is a house of prayer, David's like, then my house is going to be a house of prayer. Not just my house, but this house. This is the temple of God. The Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, I will seek you in your temple all the days of my life, that means wherever you go, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're seeking him all the time. That doesn't mean you live in the church building. Psalm 63, one says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. To seek means to aggressively pursue. And I've learned when I am weak with God, the temptation is strong. And when I'm strong with God, the temptation is weak. Funny how that works. If you ever see someone that you look at and say, they got a really good relationship with God. They got a strong relationship with God. I admire that. They seem really close to God. If you ever see someone like that and they truly have a good relation with God, I'm going to tell you the thing that they all do. They all do the, the same thing, and that is seek God daily. That's what they do. They seek him daily. They spend time with him. They didn't read an extra book that you should read and put on your reading list. They didn't go to a certain conference, and that's how it happened. They just sought God daily, and from that place that seeking God place, God led them to the right conference and the right book and the right mentor and the right church and the right, God led them to, all, to the men's conference. Does that make sense? That starts, it starts though with our personal. It's feeding yourself. Like I don't skip meals. I might accidentally skip a lunch because I was busy, but I'm not putting my head on that pillow without eating something that day it's not happening I don't miss meals you can tell I don't miss meals because I know right I know in fact when you do get too busy because of meetings and busyness and life or depression and anxiety and grief what people who love you come to you and say is eat something Eat something. Ah, no, no, you got to eat something. Trust me, you're not going to die. You'll survive. Eat something. In the same way that Paul said to those guys on the ship, and the same way that David is trying to teach us all here, that we need to eat not just physically, we need to eat something spiritually. What would it be like if I just missed three days of eating, and I'd feel weak, and I'd feel tired, and I'd maybe feel sick? Because I'm not getting my body the nutrients that it needs. Same thing with our spirit. If we just go three days, one week, three months, ten years, without really feasting on God's presence, on his word. Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes through the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. That's why we feel weak. That's why we feel like we can't make it why we feel like we don't have answers. And God's praying this simple prayer, show me mercy. You know, I had this really cool experience last month. I got to go uh, visit, visit with my dad. Now, my dad is a, um, not, not been a man of prayer, not really been a man of, of church and, and talk about God or, you know, really kind of critical of the church. And he knows what I do. And he's like, that's cool. That's you. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. That's not for me. I'm not into God. i not into religion like that. It's not, you know, so many questions. I don't understand it. I don't trust it. That's kind of been his MO for a long time. So uh, all my life, actually, as far as I know. And he, um, about a couple months ago, he had an accident. He was trying to trim down this tree branch that had fallen in a storm. The tree branch knocked him over and he fell down and he ended up paralyzed from his neck down. He lives in Florida. They took him to the hospital. They had kind of this emergency surgery to kind of correct what's going on in the spinal cord but he didn't have any feeling completely from his neck down. They shipped him up to Atlanta. Atlanta has the Shepherd Center which is a world-renowned spinal cord injury center that they help people. And so, they, um, so he's there doing physical therapy. He's doing that. He's, he's on this road to recovery. It's been a couple months now. He's still working at it. Got, starting to see a couple little things happen. We've been praying for him. So I booked a flight. I'm going to go down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him. And I felt like, and it was like confirmed through like a few people that I, I shared that with. And I felt like I wasn't just going to visit with my dad and see if he's okay. I was going on a mission. And um, a mission trip. But it was, some of you guys know, it's actually easier to get up here and talk to a bunch of strangers about God than sometimes it is with your own family, you know, that has been resistant and and kind of not receptive to it. And you don't even know how to have the conversation. And I'm going. I'm even on the flight, like, Lord, how do I read my Bible and get a lot of scripture in me? I'm going to, what do I say? How do I do this? When should I, how should I bring it up? God, show me what the door is to say, you know, maybe a song will come on. I I don't know what. I didn't know what, what what it was going to be, because I felt like uh, more than praying for his physical healing. I wanted wanted to pray that his soul would get healed. And I just I went down there and I was so the first night I was there, I was visiting in the hospital room. And it was like one o'clock in the morning, staying with some family in Atlanta, and I'm ready to go back there. And I'm like, I haven't brought it up yet. I'm here for a few nights, though. So, you know, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll say it. Tomorrow, I'll say something, you know. Um, Or maybe, you know, by by the last day, by the last day, before I leave, I got to say something. And that first night before I left, he started asking me questions about God. It was crazy. I've never, never had a conversation like that in my life Like with him. He started talking to me about prayer. We had this conversation about prayer. Do I have to pray for myself? Can people pray for me? Does it work when people pray for me? You know, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was really interesting. And then he told me this story that he actually prayed uh, just a few days before I got there. He just started praying. Yeah. And this is what he prayed. He's laying in the hospital bed, can't do anything, He's paralyzed. Nothing else to do but pray. Sometimes people come to Christ through crisis. That's how God gets our attention sometimes. And he's there, and he's laying down there, and he says, just thinking about a situation, how crazy it is, and just life-changing. Everything in this world has changed. Can't go to work, can't do it. Doesn't know what's going to happen. Doesn't know what healing is going to look like, if healing is going to happen. You know, all that, got the best doctors in the world trying to work on it, but he's still in this unsure place and he's just laying there. He just, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. And he says, God, if you're real, just show me mercy. That was the prayer. And then he told me, tell told me the story. He tells me the next morning, he wakes up and the new nurse, it's, it's the new nurses shift come in. The new nurse comes in, checks on him, introduces herself, said her name is Mercy. And he said, God, is that you trying to? And I was like, yeah, that's God. He's been trying to get a hold of you a long time. And what was really cool is by the last night, I got to pray with him, lay hands on him, pray for forgiveness. He prayed out loud. It was just a powerful moment that just opened up a new thing that I've never experienced with my dad before. So if anybody here has anybody in your life that you... In fact, if you're here, raise your hand if that's you. I just want to pray for you. I want to, you got someone in your life that you don't know how to have that conversation with, but you know you don't want to get to heaven and not see them there. I pray for every hand lifted up and every soul that is attached to that hand, God. You know exactly how to reach them, whether you will use us, whether you use some church, whether you use some random evangelist, some random missionary, some random situation, whatever it is you need to do to get a hold of that person, God. You know how to find them. You know exactly what they believe, what they've been through, how far away they are from you, God. You know how close they are to you, God. You know how close they are to turning their life to you, God, and recognizing who you are, God. And you will show up. I I declare victory and miracles. I declare that this year, this time next year, there'll be some testimonies from some people in this room who had this prayer and this faith in the room that we believe that they will come to the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this book is all about a journey between not being able to see God's face to finally being able to see God's face. That's the whole book. The whole, the whole thing, the whole journey of a Christian is I can't see his face. I don't know who he is. I don't know how to find him. So I finally found him and I could finally see him. You can see it in Exodus 33 where, where God tells Moses, he said, no one can see my face. No one can see me and live. He didn't say, I will kill you if you see me. He didn't say, see me will cause you to die. He said, no one can see me and live. What he's trying to say is, part of us has to die before we get to him. There is a sinful part of us, a fleshly part of us, old ways, old thoughts, old methods that we thought were right for 40 years. I thought that was the right way to do it because of culture, society, or someone told me, or trauma has taught me. And then I read his word and I realized that's not the right thought. I, that's not the right way to live. That's not the right way to approach things. And because of that, I got, I got healed and transformed. And I, I can't see him when I'm like that. That has to die. Jump all the way to the end of the book in Revelation 22. It talks about God's people in eternity. and It says they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. So it's all—it's this journey between, I, I, we can't see him because too much of us is still alive. That's why we need to crucify ourselves. And that old way they used to run our lives is now dead. You cannot live and see him. You have to die. You have to die. Because he won't let, he's so holy It is impossible for him to let unholiness into his holiness. So in order to get there, he needs to make us holy. And that's why he sent Jesus. Because we couldn't get there by ourselves. We actually needed someone else to pay the price for sin that was holy, that can wash away all of our sin. So it's not anything you do. It's not, you know what I'm saying? That's the gospel. It's not anything you did that got you to be able to see his face. It's just accepting what he did for you, man. That's good. In Psalm Psalm 10 and 4, it says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. And in all of his thoughts, there's no room for God. He defined pride and wickedness by someone who does not seek God. In fact, the sign that you don't seek God is you got the pride and wickedness in you. So if there's any area in your life, you're like, yeah, I still got pride and I still got wickedness. I need to seek God more because there are still parts of my day. There's parts of my day that I seek him and I think about him. I read scripture and I pray. And there's other parts of my day I don't think about him at all. I have made no room in my thoughts for him. And God is like revealing that to me and showing me that that's that is a a lack of seeking. Early will I seek him. A lack of seeking. Isaiah said in in chapter six, verse one, he said, I saw the Lord seated on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he had this moment where he just had this face-to-face experience with God. And he's trying to describe it. He notices the throne and the angels. And it's this wild sight that he got to see. And he is having this moment in the presence of God. And he's realizing that as he realizes it, the presence of God will make you self-aware. All of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh. And he says in verse 5, woe is me. Woe to me, I am ruined. I am undone. All of a sudden, everything that I thought was my identity, everything I felt was valuable, every, every dream I had, everything that I, all my ways just start to fall off in the presence of God. My sin and all my shame starts to just crumble, decompose in the presence of God. And then he said, he said, I, I, I am a man of unclean lips. And, and in fact, I dwell among people with unclean lips. Some of us, when we get in the presence of God, we realize we need to change our circle. Because that's the thing that keeps us in and out of God's presence. We come to church, we love the Lord, we come to the altar, we cry. We go back and hang out with the same, watch the same stuff and and it's the same cycle and then we're out of his presence again. And he realized it when he got into God's presence, when he saw the Lord and when we really come have this face-to-face experience with God and he starts to show us, he starts to show how much we're sinful and how much we need to repent and how much we're not even worded for him to use, but he used Isaiah anyway. He used David anyway, he used Paul anyway. That's been the whole story, he used them anyway. He blessed them anyway, only because they just started seeking him more. They just started spending time with him more. This is the kind of thing that doesn't, you don't get from any pastor on the stage. You don't get from any teacher, you don't get from any uh, best-selling book. Those are great tools. But that's like watching someone else eat a great meal and thinking you'll get full. You have to eat yourself. You get what I'm saying? You got to, you can hear about it, you can learn about it. We were reading about it in Psalm 27, and it sounds great. It sounds like I want that. But that comes from seeking Him, that comes from seeking Him. And I'm just, I'm just challenged in my walk, and I'm, 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 I'm just learning this, that seeking the face of God is, is the key. It's nothing else. David's like, I have no other agenda anymore. I used to I used to have all kinds of reasons why I'll do all kinds of things, even, even go to church, even preach, even lead. There's all kinds of reasons. David's like, "I don't. There's no, none of that is my reason anymore. None of that is my, like, goal. That all might be fruit from what the root is, which is me spending time with Jesus. But that's on, that's on you, God. That's not me achieving anything anymore. That's not me trying so hard. Pastor John has been saying, like, this isn't a kingdom of try hard. This is a kingdom of surrender. And I've been, I've been seeking God's face more and more. On how to seek God's face more and more. Because that's all, that's all we want. The Bible is all about it. That's why when we, when we read our tabernacle prayer book. And we spend time and we learn about the tabernacle. You know you pass through the brazen altar and you get to the laver. The laver is this big bowl. This big basin made out of precious metal. And with water in it. So when you look into it, it's not just water, it's like a mirror. So then you can see yourself and realize, oh, I got some dirt right here. Let me get some water and wash it off. I got some dirt on my hands. Let me get some water and wash it off. I got something in my hair. Let me get some water and wash it off. I can see. That's how I can wash. And the word is like that. We're washed by the cleansing of the word. So when you look in the word, you say, oh, I got got something in my life that doesn't line up with this. There's some dirt. Let me wash it off. There's something I used to think was important, but this word is just reevaluating all that for me. Tell me it's not that important. Let me wash that off. There's something I used to cling to, and and now I'm and as I'm reading, I'm realizing I'm, I'm washing, right? And now that's not that important to me anymore. And then as you start to die, and get ruined, and get undone, and get cleansed in His presence, you start to look more like him so now you're looking as face to face with Jesus so then you can see clearly when he moves this way you move when he moves you move just like that when he says go here you go there when he says don't do that you don't do that anymore whatever he says to do you're now mimicking like a mirror like that old game we used to play with each other whatever they did you did now you're starting to do that with God. You're making sure the image is right. All that will fall off. Sin is combustible in the presence of God. A.W. Tozer said the spirit filled life is not a special edition, deluxe version of Christianity. It is a part of God's plan, total plan for all of us. So there's not, I'm a Christian, but they're spirit filled. That's not God's design. Being filled with his spirit, let, and because his spirit is called the Holy Spirit, once he comes into your life, he has to remove everything that is un- That's the spirit-filled life. The band can come back up because I'm getting ready to close with this piece from John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. There were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. So the Greeks weren't people who grew up in faith. They weren't the people that knew. They might have been around it, but they didn't know the stuff that the Jews knew about God and about the Bible and about Moses and about the history of God. They didn't have that. But they happened to be around. There's some of us that didn't come up in the Christian world, didn't, maybe not have a Christian home, but we've been around it. And now we're starting to go to creative church. And we're like, I see it. And there's people around here worshiping, and i, I, I don't, don't, maybe not accessing what they're accessing. Maybe I'm missing something here. And I want to go deeper than just being around the worship. I want to learn how to truly worship and how to truly let it change my life and let my life be a pleasing sacrifice to God. Not just this in and out, I'm kind of doing it, I'm kind of checking some stuff off my list. So the Greeks had this profound, those Greeks had a profound statement. They came to Philip, one of the disciples, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. With a request. This is verse 21. They said, sir, we would like to see Jesus. We've seen church. We've seen singing. We've seen preaching. In fact, the Greeks had the most beautiful temples for their gods. They've seen that. They've seen buildings. I don't know if anybody's in here. There's a remnant that's saying, I've seen the entertainment part of church. I've, I've seen the motivational speakers. You know, I've, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen you. I've seen you get hungry. You get full. I've seen it. I've seen that. But I know that none of that is filling me. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. I don't need to come to another service if I don't see Jesus. I don't need to read another book. I don't need to have anyone mentor me unless I see Jesus. Jesus. I don't want to see anything else. I've seen it all. I've maybe done it all. Show me your face, God. I've been, we've had church. We've had services and left unchanged. But no one can come into the presence of God and leave unchanged. Let's all stand to our feet. I don't know how to have an invitation. At the end of a sermon like this, because perhaps the Holy Spirit's already invited you. He's already starting to draw you closer as we just reflect on what he said in his word. As we spend time in his presence, as we lift up his name and as we seek him in his temple. Lord Jesus, we're hungry. Cleanse us, show us where we need to change, Let the light shine through us. Ruin me in your presence. Make me undone. Everything that I thought was so valuable, let it just fall apart and crumble before you, God. So that all that's left is the way you designed me. The man or the woman that you've designed me to be. The purpose that you've given me. All that's left is no chasing after nothing in this world. Take all of that and give me Jesus. There's healing in his presence. There's victory in his presence. There's miracles in his presence. God is not trying to stay a mystery to you. God is not trying to remain a mystery to you. He's not trying to remain undiscoverable. He's saying, seek me. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. Psalm 9, verse 10 says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 14, verse 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand any who seek God. God is looking right here, right now. If there's any, if there's anybody who wants to seek God, is there any young people who are seeking God? Are there any teachers in the room going back to school but want to seek God? Are there any politicians who don't want to do anything that the world is just telling them to do just because the world tells them to do it, but wants to seek God? Are there any doctors? Are there any parents in here that need to seek God on what to do with these children? Anybody who needs it? God is looking, searching everywhere for somebody who wants to seek him, who wants to see his face. That one thing. God is whispering, are you tired of being stuck? Are you tired of that addiction? Are you tired of that immorality that is sitting there that you know you want to get rid of, but somehow you're tangled in it. You don't know how to get rid of. Isaiah 55 says, 55, six says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Everyone just lift up your hands towards heaven as if you're reaching out to a God that hears you and is showing mercy. Come on, let's I want to sing this together. Every way you lead this for us. Say, show me your face. Come on, Lift up our voices. Show me your face.
1: Show me your face, Lord. Your power and grace. I would make it to the
0: end. If I could just see your face. Come on. You wanna see him today? Just sing this out to him.